Thank you for standing. You may be seated, Mike. Thank you for playing. And my prayer is that in those moments of reflection right before this message that you did indeed uh, talk to the Lord and uh, some um, that may be uh, the first time we've talked to him all day. And I'm not saying that in any way to, um, you know, to come against you with that, but thankful for a time to kind of set our hearts uh, before the preaching of the word. We've got so much going on in our world today. Uh, with just the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and, and the weightiness of that and the, the prayers that are needed for that. We had a special home group on Friday night just praying over these um, just these matters. And a lot's changed even since Friday night, uh, waking up this morning and some of, the, uh, some of the threats. And so we do indeed need to uh, lift up those uh, image bearers, whether they're brothers or sisters in Christ, they're image bearers of God. And uh, so for sure, we need to pray for the Christians that are in Ukraine. There's a, there's a ton of them. And there's some wonderful churches and some uh, just humanitarian efforts that are going on there. And we need to pray for those. And then also those that don't know the Lord yet, that God somehow would use this evil that's being done unto them to uh, bring to fruition their, uh, their need for salvation. And one of, the, one of the prayers on Friday night was, that if this did get to like a hand-to-hand combat to that point where they would see the image bear that they are trying to take their life and that there would somehow uh, be uh, something so much bigger than often what we see uh, in war. Um, And so, well, this Sunday we've got uh, Juan Carlos and Maggie in the back there. They've just just recently uh, joined our, our church family, but they're they're actually going to be moving uh, out of the area. And I want to tell you, thank you for the gift that you, both of you have been to our church in the uh, short amount of time that you've been here. We try to uh, just live open-handedly with each and every person. And thank you for uh, just your love for us, your often encouraging words. Uh, even this morning, Juan Carlos was talking about how even the short time that that they were a part of Redwood. God has done massive amounts of work and even in his life and in their life. And God gets all the glory for that. And uh, we want to uh, be a place where um, folks can come and be encouraged and grow in the word. And this morning's text is one of those, if you'll allow it, okay? Uh, I've entitled our time this morning. We're, we're in our series of Between Two Worlds, verse by verse through First Peter, uh, and we really are living in this world as we look to the next. That's the only way we can make sense of it, as God is, God is preparing us. He's left us here after salvation to uh, be those that would bring honor and glory to him, but we, but we make it as we look to the next. And so this morning, I've entitled our time, Carefree Living carefree living. Now, not just what you might think of that. It's not just so much, you know, just haphazardly, we'll just kind of do uh, whatever. But no, living kind of, can I put it this way? Restful. Restful living. Look at verse number six. Last week, we started chapter number five, and we were working through that, and then uh, just kind of the leadership of, uh, of the pastor in the church. And uh, I pray that uh, just the men that prayed at the end of that service and just prayed over uh, me and just this ministry was so, so powerful. But we're transitioning now into verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing 
that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that he hath suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everything has been really building kind of to these to these verses, everything we've been learning through all of these chapters. And it leads us to, I think you'll agree with me by the time we're done this morning, of this, this restful way of living, this carefree, not, not careless, but as we've casting our care upon the Lord, that we truly can rest in the Lord. From the Mother's Magazine, A.G. Wettelsor told this story. In the 1800s, the late 1800s, a group of women met for a Bible study in Dublin. They were puzzled by the phrase that they were studying in Malachi 3, verse 3, which says, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And so they were kind of stumped by that. And they, they kind of, one of the ladies promised that in the next couple days they were going to uh, get, try to find a silversmith and begin to, to begin to talk to one of those individuals about um, kind of how the process goes. And so she sat down with the silversmith and, and he began to kind of teach her his craft and everything that they did. And, and, and she was with just complete amazement. And at the end, she, she asked the man, she said, do you sit while you work on this silver? And the man said, yes, ma'am. I must sit, he said, with my eye steadily fixed on the furnace. For if the time necessary for refining be exceeded in the slightest degree, the silver is sure to be injured. And at once she saw the the great truth of what Malachi was saying, that God is the silversmith and he's, and he's seated and he's, he's watching with immense care with the, the temperature of the suffering in our life. And she felt just this, this, this wonderful just warmth kind of overflow her and she couldn't wait to get, to get back to her lady's Bible study to, to share what she had learned. And as she was walking out the door, the, the, the silversmith, he, he called her back and he said, we know that we are done or that it's been um, fully refined when I can see my image or I can see my reflection in the silver. And so God, when he can see his reflection in us, when there's that, that, that Christ-likeness reflection in our lives, and that is the, the refining work that, that God is so often doing in our life. I want to start by asking you a question. How often do you end up with your head in your hands, so to speak? How often are you asking the question of, what am I going to do? What is going to happen now? What am I going to do with this situation? And it can go on and on with those questions. Do you rest in your life? And I don't mean do you sleep. I think all of us, we have to sleep. But do you 
rest. And before this morning's message is done, my prayer is that you will understand that question to its fullest, at least from our text. I'm not talking about the the sort of kind of pie-in-the-sky, dreamy hopes and wishes that are not really rooted in anything, but a rest that is rooted in an everyday, rubber-meets-the-road kind of faith that you have in your Lord. I am persuaded that the connecting theme of all that we are going to learn today from this context of suffering is actually rest. So what does it look like to live a life of rest? To live a life of rest amidst difficulty, amidst the, the, the unexpected, when you're dealing with things that are beyond your abilities and beyond your wisdom, beyond your strength. What does it look like to, even in those moments, be able to rest in the Lord? Now, I know that none of us live in a perfect world. I think that's been on abundant display the last week, if you've been watching any of, uh, of the news th- this last week. And so all of us, to some degree, are going to experience difficulty. But what is the true experience of your heart in those moments? Are you tempted to question God? Are you tempted to to question God's goodness? Are you tempted to question the love and the care of your Savior when you're going through that refiner's fire that Malachi is talking about? Do we question his attentive eye upon our our lives? Do we question if we have um, the ability to make it through? Do you have sleepless nights where you're just running over in your head day after day and how can I fix this? How can I make it work? Do you have rest? Do you? Are we constantly wrestling with God and what He's doing and allowing in your life? I think if we're honest... A lot of us do a lot of wrestling. Notice how I said us? We do a lot of wrestling. But my prayer is this morning that that God would use this text to help us to maybe wrestle a little less and rest in what God has for us. And so what does it look like? Well, let's start off with our first maybe directive of the text here would be rest is about knowing your place. Knowing your place. There's a real connection between humility and rest. See, now listen, when I place myself in the center of my universe, when I make make my life all about me, when I try to manipulate circumstances and relationships to make sure that I get everything that I want or what I have deemed that I need, I'm actually dreaming up a type of life that is only going to bring anxiety, that is only going to bring unrest. Why? Because as we learned a couple weeks ago, you are going to suffer. The, 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 the more you live for God, the more radically you live and say, hey, hey, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you're loud about that, the more hardships and the more difficulty your life is actually going to have. 
And so we're going to have more worry, more anxiety, constant fear and discouragement and disappointment if we set ourselves up as the, as the kings of our world, if we're sitting on the throne of our life. And so look what Peter says here in verse number six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So what does it mean when I say to know your place? What, is it, what does it mean to, to humble yourself before God's mighty hand? Well, let me give you a few answers to maybe that question. It means that you trust the wisdom of Almighty God more than your own wisdom. It means that, that you believe that the things that, that, that God is calling you to are wise and good and true. It means that, that we humbly find joy in living in the context of, of his wisdom, that we find joy in it. Now, what if that wisdom of God is to allow you to go through the refiner's fire, as, the, as our illustration opened up this message with, that we find joy in, in living in that context? Do we? Or are there times when we step outside of that wisdom because there's something that we think is better? We think that we know better than God. We think that, God, if you would provide this, I would have more pleasure in my life. God, if you would provide this, there would be more security. God, you're calling me to that? No, I know better. And so when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, when we rest in, in, in knowing our, our place, that, that God is great and, and he is wise and he's truthful and he is loving and you can trust him. Secondly, I believe it means that you rest in his sovereignty, which, you, you, which means that you believe, hear what I'm about to say, that your life is not, not out of control. Now, it will definitely be out of your control at times. You will absolutely face mysteries in your life that go beyond your wisdom, that go beyond your strength, that go beyond your ability to figure things out. But embracing the sovereignty of God means that you understand that nothing is out of His control. Nothing is beyond his care. Nothing is beyond his wisdom. Nothing is beyond his strength because he's the one who rules it all. Daniel 4 verse 35 says, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? No one can stop him. God is in complete control. And so your life, though it may seem out of control, the way that you rest in the midst of adversity, in the midst of out of control from our perspective, is we rest in the fact that this actually isn't out of control to God. He is sovereign. 
Ephesians 1.21, listen to this, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet. He's talking about Christ under his foot and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So God's rule is benevolent. It's loving It's caring, his rule. See that picture? It's kind of all under his foot. And he does it all for his children. Are you a child of God this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If your answer to that in your heart of hearts is yes, your life is not out of control. It's not. And you can rest in that. Because your life is is under the rule of a loving and caring God for you. So there is a way in which that means that I never walk into a relationship, situation, or circumstance that is out of control. All of those are under the careful control of my wise heavenly Father. Do you have that kind of rest? This is what we're talking about, knowing our place. If we are the kings of our lives, we are going to be anxious over everything. Why? Because it's not going to go according to our plan. But when we understand the bigger picture, when we understand that we've got a loving, caring God that's actually preparing us to spend all of eternity with us, he left us living down here in the sanctification process. Why? So that someday we can live all of eternity with him. When we understand that, it brings about a restfulness in our lives. Look at the verse again. Humble yourselves. There, verse 6. Under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. This knowing our place. Thirdly, you believe that living that kind of humble life, that knowing your place is a life of blessing and reward. It's actually living the way that human beings were meant to live. It's living out our full humanity as God created us, because God created you, God created me to be dependent upon him. That is not a malfunction of the the, the fall or of creation. No, no, no. God created you and God created me to be fully dependent upon him, and he is going to ultimately exalt when the time comes, right? There's going to be a day when we reign with him. It's not going to be right now. We're living now and we're looking to the next world. That's what First Peter's all about. The, 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 um, the meek are going to inherit the earth. So someday there's going to be blessing. Someday there's going to be reward. Someday there's going to be exaltation. But now there is a humble approach of knowing our place and knowing that this is a pathway to blessing. So rest in knowing your place. Let me say secondly, rest in God's care. Verse 17, the famous verse that we, verse 7, excuse me, that we love to, the quote, right? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. What are the things in your life that give you cause for worry, concern, for fear, What are the things in your life that cause anxiety? Have you, as an act of faith, put those cares in the hands of the Lord? What a stunning miracle of grace you see in this passage. 
that a holy God invites people such as us to take our cares and give them to him. What a grace that God would come alongside us in the hardships of our lives and we could take those cares, we can take the things that, that, that are causing us, maybe, maybe the sleepless nights when we think of rest, but more than that, just that cause us the anxiety and the worry and the fear and the concern and we literally, we can cast, we can literally just throw them upon the Lord. Do you believe that the Lord cares for you? That he cares for your concerns? That he cares about your responsibilities? That he cares about your opportunities? That he cares about your situations and locations in which you live? That he cares about your relationships? That he cares about the temptations that you face? That he cares about your weaknesses? Your Lord cares. I can't say that enough. He cares for you. But do you believe it? Do you rest in that? See, if we are constantly questioning that, if we are in our minds, God, do you care? God, do you love? Then we're not resting in this beautiful, just caring God that we have that does life with us. I think maybe one of the darkest secrets of the church is how much fear and anxiety there is in us. And that anxiety, what it does is it ends up paralyzing us. It discourages us. It robs us of courage. It robs us of hope. And ultimately, what will happen is, is we become so focused on making sure that we are taken care of that our eyes actually aren't on others and that we can take care of others. I think this is one of the major problems with evangelism is because we're so consumed about ourselves and so consumed on what we need that if we're not careful, we don't ever think about, well, what does that individual need? Maybe they need to learn about Christ. Maybe they need to see me respond the right way. Yes, I'm mad. Yes, I'm hurt. But maybe I'm not going to say what I want to say because that individual needs to ultimately hear the gospel. But what will happen is, is if we're caring for it all, do you see what I mean by this? We're not resting in him caring. We're caring it all. We're, you know, we're picking up our you know, boots and just pulling them up. This is what I got to do. Then we're not observing what others are going through. How many other people do you know of their hurts and their cares? It's a question to ponder. It's kind of easy in this room because we know we all love each other. But how about your neighbors? Convicting. How about the people you do life with at work? See, when, we've, when we rest in God's care for us, when we, are, when we are properly passing our cares upon the Lord, you know what he equips us to do? To be able to be bear, burden bearers of others. But if my life is constantly navigating my care, why? Because I don't understand my place, because I'm the king of my life, and I know what I want, and I know what's best, then guess what? I'm going to take all the cares of my life, and I'm going to make sure that I work through all of those, and I can live my life with my head down. Has anyone ever called your name multiple times before to try to get your attention? This happened just a couple weeks ago. Sarah had to say my name three different times. I was in the same room. You know what I was doing? I was caring for myself. 
I was just thinking through things, and I was noodling through it all and worrying about it and worrying about it, worrying about it. Guess what? To where I'm completely oblivious. How many times do we walk through our life blind? I think this is one of the dark secrets, the dark secrets of the Christian church in America, where we're so worried, we're so filled with anxiety. I believe because we've not humbled ourselves for, man, I'm so convicted right now, that I've not humbled myself before the Lord first to think that I can just carry all of this and work it all out on my own when Peter is saying, no, 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 listen, listen, beginning of chapter number five, I'm going to give you leadership. Remember I laid out what my role is last week? It's humbling to do, right? To say, all right, here's what you, hold me accountable. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, <laughs> But I'm going to give you leaders like that. And these leaders, they're going, to, they're going to bring truth to you. They're going to feed you. So what I'm trying to do is feed you this morning. And listen, the key to rest is we start by humbling ourselves. That, no, 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 we can't just do it all. Throw this care upon the Lord because he cares for us. We doing okay? All right? Do you spend your time awake, entrapped in the little world of personal concern, or do you really believe that the Lord cares? That's probably the question for today. Mike sometimes takes down comments and puts it on social media later. Do you spend your time awake, entrapped in the little world of personal concern, or do you really believe your Lord cares? That's a question only that we can answer. And I'm asking God to help me to be others-focused this week. Others. Because God's got me. He's taking care of me. Let me give you a third aspect here of this rest. Number three, take life seriously. Take life seriously. Look at verse number eight. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour Sober-mindedness is, is being careful about the way that you think. Now, Paul would say it differently. Paul would tell us that we are to take every thought and we're to bring it into captivity, right, with, with Christ. And so Peter, he's saying here, you need, you need to be sober. You need to be vigilant. The way that you think, you need to be caring about that. It really is about thinking about life from the vantage point of the wisdom of Scripture. What is, the big, what is one of the big idolatries of America? No doubt it's pleasure. We live in a silly society that does not take life seriously. How many of you have, you don't have to raise your hand, but you have Facebook or Instagram, and they constantly have all these, oh, I, can't, I just drew a blank on what they're called, but they're like these little reels, these little clips. I'd say like 80% of them, they're all just silly and they're funny. Sometimes I make my family laugh with them. Our society today, it's just not serious. We spend masses amounts of money on things that make no difference whatsoever. In the pursuit of pleasure, we, we make dumb decisions that get us into horrible debt. We allow ourselves to be controlled by physical things till we are addicted. The pursuit of pleasure will cause us to eat ourselves into bad health. If you look around at Western culture, it's a picture of a culture that is not taking life seriously. We need to stand against the influence of that culture. So let me ask you, do you take it seriously? Are you watchful? 
That's what that word vigilant means. You're, you're, you're sober and you're, and you're watchful. Well, what are we to watch for? Well, Peter says you need to watch for because the adversary of the devil is a roaring lion. He's walking about seeking whom he can scrumptiously devour. That's what Peter says. Here's why we need to take it seriously, because there is a thing called evil. We believe in personal evil. We believe that there really is a devil who is out to divide and to destroy and to devour. We believe that. And we believe that the stakes are high. There's an enemy to our souls, and you cannot read these words without having a bit of caution. What a picture. The devil, as a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. Now, lions, they're incredibly strong. They're around 600 pounds, and they're around four and a half feet tall. They're about 20 times stronger than you. I know there's some in here that are really strong, maybe 19 times stronger than you. Juan Carlos, talking about you, buddy. 20 times stronger. It's because I'm missing you already. That's why I brought you up. We can't fight Satan in our own strength. Now, thank God we don't do it in our own strength. Remember we learned from John Van Gelderen? Man, we're seated in the heavenlies. We're doing it in Christ. And that's why when you even read in Jude, uh, in verse number 9, the, the Michael the archangel, he doesn't go against Satan on his own. He says, the Lord rebuke you. And so we do it in the power of the strength. But we've got to understand that, 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 that if we're not aware, if we're not diligent, if we're not watchful, th- this lion, this devil, as, as um, Peter is kind of giving us a word picture here, incredibly strong. And they're very hungry. When they kill and they eat, they're ready to do it all over again. Likewise, Satan walks about and he stalks his, his demons and his cohorts. They, they, they stalk who their next victim could be. The word roar refers in one way to the howl of a beast in fierce hunger. But they also try to do it by being scary. A roar can be heard. A lion's roar can be heard some five miles away. The main purpose of that is to, to frighten. I've read that one of the strategies of the pride of lions for the older lion, who often doesn't have many of their teeth, is to roar so that they can, that the, that the prey starts running towards the younger. And so they intimidate you. They're very territorial. Another reason why they roar is so they let them know, this is, this is my land. This is my area. And so Satan roars. Because this is his dominion right now. It's a defeated, it's a defeated foe. In, in Christ. In his book called Stealth Attack, Ray Pritchard, he develops five practical strategies to fight against our adversary. Let me give them to you really quick. Adopt a warfare mentality. We've heard that from First Peter. He says, settle the fact that we are always at war and recognize the devil's lies when they come your way. One of the, he says this, one of the leaders of my church used to, to respond to wrong thinking with a very strong statement. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell, he would say. It was always a bit of jarring when he would say it, but I quickly learned that he was right. So we ought to adopt a wartime mentality. Raise the spiritual alert level. Our country used to follow a color-coded alert level. and So we ought to have our awareness ready that he's around the corner He's going to try to get you to stumble. He's going to try to get you to sin. He's going to try to get you to think that wrong thought. He's going to try to get you somewhere. And I'm going with this here really quickly. 
And he says, practice forward-leaning defense. In other words, be in the Word. Grow in your faith now so when the attacks come, you'll be able to be prepared. He says, present a united front. We're always stronger together than we are alone. Hey, let's band together in prayer. When was the last time you shared a prayer request? Now, obviously, we have to have avenues where you can share those, and we need to do better at that as a church. But when was the last time you shared a prayer request? It says a lot of how much we think we can handle things, but let's do it together. Settle in for the long haul, Ray says. We're told that our enemies cannot defeat us, but they can discourage so much that they put down our weapons, that we put down our weapons and leave the battlefield. Satan is a defeated foe, yet he is also a roaring lion. And so we've got to take this seriously. Take life seriously. And then let me give you a fourth directive here. Resist him no matter what. Look at verse number nine. Verse number nine. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. It's a very interesting verse because this resistance of the enemy is put into the context of suffering. We all know that there's times of suffering that often we can become more vulnerable. We've talked about this throughout this book. When you're suffering, you're tempted to get angry. When you're suffering, you're tempted to doubt God. You're tempted to envy maybe what some other person has. Tempted to question the things that you have believed in the past. Tempted to be irritable and unkind and unloving, to be proud. And so it is interesting that Peter connects standing firm with suffering. What is one of Satan's most regular, tempting, seductive lies? Is that you are alone in your experience. That you're all alone. You'll be going through something and he'll begin to get into your head and he'll begin to say, you are all alone in this. God's not there. Satan follows that up with, where is your God now? Why isn't he loving you like he's loving somebody else? Why isn't he being faithful to you like he is to somebody else? In your sorrow, have you ever thought of somebody else that's maybe not going through it? And become like, how come I don't get that? That is Satan. He comes along and he says, you are alone in this. No one else can understand this. He is, God is against you. He's trying to hurt you and you alone. Why is somebody else blessed and you are not? Why are they receiving grace and you are not? You are experiencing this alone. And you know what Peter says? Peter says, don't you understand that the things that you are suffering are universal experiences. Look at it again. Whom resists steadfast in the faith, talking about Satan, he's going to come along, roaring line, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists in the faith, in Christ, we're greater than him, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. They're going through the exact same thing. We live in a fallen world, and suffering is going to enter into your door. It's going to enter into my door. And so we're not alone and you stand for Christ in a culture that has absolutely rejected him, suffering is going to be a part of that experience. We must understand that. You've not been singled out. Do you ever feel singled out? 
You've not been. You're not the only one that's going through it. Your experience is the same experience of all of God's children. And in saying that, he is protecting his readers from the temptation to listen to an evil lie of the enemy. And so that's why I encourage you to seek out other brothers and sisters that have, that have gone through similar things. They might not have gone through the exact same thing, but they've, they've gone through similar things. Because if we're not careful, what we do is we stand in our hardship and we say the only person that can speak into that is someone who's gone through the exact same thing that I've gone through. That's not fair. We can speak into each other's lives. And let's encourage one another. The only way we're going to do that is if we're not worrying about all of what we're carrying because we've given it over to the Lord. It's a beautiful picture here. Beautiful picture of rest. Let me give you the fifth directive here, and we'll be, we'll be done here this morning. Trust God's sanctifying grace. Trust is sanctifying grace, verse 10. But the God of all grace, who's called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you've suffered a while, make you perfect, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Hear this, your Lord will not turn from his grace. Suffering is not going to stop his transforming hand. Circumstances are not going to get in the way of his redeeming work for you. He will finish that work in your life. He's going to, you're going to be restored. He's going to, he will confirm you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to establish you. His grace is sure, and he will not relent until his work is completely done in the hearts of all of his people. And it's only fitting that Peter kind of ends this, this kind of, this study really of suffering next week is more of, is a different sermon, but kind of he's going to end it with this doxology. Look at verse 11. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What is Peter saying? Peter's saying, even though you're facing hard things, even though you've got some, some circumstances that you're struggling with, even though you're faced with mysteries in your life, even though, you, even though you find yourself in places that you didn't want to be, even though you're experiencing misunderstanding, maybe you're experiencing rejection, all of that, through all of it, the Lord rules. He's on the throne. And he's fully aware of you. I can't close any other way than that. That you are seen right where you're at. And knowing that should be able to bring about a rest in you. Oh, it doesn't mean that your life's going to go easy. No. But it can bring about a rest that you know your place. That God, <laughs> we're not God. God is perfectly wise, perfectly strong, and he leads us in to areas of our life that are good for us even when it's hard. And then when we bring on these cares, we cast them upon the Lord. And as we begin to do that, we're going to be able to lift up our eyes and we're going to be able to see others that are going through difficulties in our life. Why? Because we're not so consumed with what's going on in our own life. And we're going to be able to take life seriously and fight against the devil. Why? Because the Lord is on the throne. Do you know that? Is that your experience? 
See, your Savior lived and suffered and died to purchase this for you, to purchase this Sabbath for you. It's not just a day. Certainly it is a day, but it's more a reality of a rest in him. Do you know that rest? And my prayer is that you would. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Mike, would you come to the, to the platform?